Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite stories, some people call it a legend, but I'm not so sure. One of my favorite stories from the early church comes on, uh, and is focused on this theme of the Trinity. The way that the story goes is St. Augustine, one of the greatest teachers, greatest figures in the early church, he had spent like 30 years meditating on this this wonder of the Trinity, trying to figure it out, to rationally make sense of how God can be at once three in one. And one day when he's just got like a headache trying to think about it, he needs to take a break. And so he lived in North Africa, right on the beach, like here in Arcadia. So he decides he's going to go for a walk on the beach. And he's walking along the beach and he's, he's thinking about this, ruminating on, on this uh, wonder of the Trinity. And he comes across a little boy. And the boy's there on the water's edge, and he, he's digging a hole in the sand. And Augustine sees that he's got a shell. And the boy's running down to the water with his shell, and he's filling it up with water. And then he's running back to the hole, and he's pouring water into the hole in the sand. Back and forth, back and forth he goes. And Augustine finally comes up to him, and he's, he's kind of chuckling when he sees this. He says, uh, little boy, what are, you, what are you doing here? He says, well... I'm trying to get all the water from the sea and put it in this hole over here. And Augustine starts chuckling. He says, little boy, that's impossible. You couldn't possibly get all of the water of the sea into this little hole. And the little boy suddenly gets deadly serious and looks up at Augustine. He says, it's no more impossible than for you to get the mystery of the Trinity into your little brain. So the story goes. <laughs> I like to think it's true. But what it highlights, what it accents for us is that this teaching, this doctrine of the Trinity at the very heart of our faith is a mystery, a mystery beyond all comprehension, which is kind of a curious thing when you think about it, that our whole faith would be founded not on something that we can perfectly get our hands around, not on a teaching that we can all say, just kind of check the box and say, that makes sense, all right, here we go, let's move forward. But our entire faith is founded on a mystery, the mystery of God's identity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what I want to do this morning is to meditate upon this mystery and to think about how this informs, how this shapes our lives of faith. The fact that at the heart of our faith is a mystery, that changes the way that we approach God. It changes the way that, that we live our lives of faith. I want to lift up for you three principal ways that it shapes our lives of faith. That we come before God in humility rather than hubris. In receptivity rather than resolution, and with adoration, not explanation. So to begin with, this mystery of the Trinity causes us to live lives of, of humility, of humble faith. This is true for all Christians, that I think there is a temptation sometimes to try and just figure everything out. But this is especially true. This is especially true. It's really an occupational hazard for pastors. 
See, pastors, we get paid the big bucks to know the answers, right? <laughs> to figure all of these things out. And it's easy to fall into a trap of thinking, all right, Trinity, glad we got that one taken care of, moving right along. There was a, a teacher around Augustine's time by the name of Arius. And Arius was one of these guys who thought, okay, we can figure this thing out. God, the Father, he is God. Jesus, well, he's a really cool guy, okay? He's probably the best of all of God's creatures, but he can't also be God. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Like the kids, one plus one equals, you know, three or two. It's more than one anyway. <laughs> it was, uh, there's something very simple about Arius' perspective. It's interesting and kind of ironic that our Old Testament reading appointed for today was from Proverbs 8. And Proverbs 8 was one of the readings that Arius himself would point to. It talks about this mysterious figure of wisdom who was the first of God's acts of old. And Arius would say, see, 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 Jesus, he's important, okay? He might be some kind of quasi-angelic figure, but he's not equal with God. Arius, I would submit to you, did not come before God with a proper kind of humility, but instead with a hubris that thinks, okay, I can dot all my T's, cro no, I'll cross the T's. Anyway, exactly, this proves my point. <laughs> that we'll just figure it all out. That's not the way it is. We come before God in humility with an attitude that says, Lord, you are larger and greater than anything I could possibly imagine. In fact, if you and I were able to imagine God perfectly, then that wouldn't be God, would it? Then we would have just created some uh, arbitrary being of our imaginings. But in fact, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, is beyond all of our knowing. So you might say, okay, well then why do we even bother with theology or doctrine or teaching any of this? Why don't we just throw up our hands and say, God's mysterious, we can't know anything. Well, that's not right either. We want to know this God more deeply. And so there was a, a saying by Augustine and Anselm and others. It was a Latin saying, fides querens intellectum which means faith-seeking understanding. They had this attitude, this humble posture of faith that says, Lord, I don't know all the answers, but I want to know your truth more deeply. I'm not going to start from a, a, a posture of, I've already got it figured out, or I can rationally answer all the questions, but I'm going to start from a posture of humble faith, and then because I love you, because I trust in you, I'm going to seek to know you better. This is one way in which the, the Trinity, the mysteriousness of God's identity, shapes our lives of faith. We come before him in humility. A second way that this mystery at the heart of our faith shapes our lives of faith is that we come with receptivity rather than resolution. Well, what do I mean by that? One of the shows that Ann and I have gotten into in the last year is a show called Grantchester. Have you guys heard of Grantchester? We love anything British. British people can put out anything and we will watch it, right? Garden shows, baking shows, you know, grocery shopping shows. It doesn't matter. We love British people. And so one of these ones, it's even more up our alley because Grandchester is about this pastor. He's a, a pastor and that's kind of his day job. But he moonlights as sort of a detective, right? Yeah. There's way more murders in his little parish than you would think. So <laughs> per capita, the math just doesn't work. But... 
This is what we tend to think of when we talk about a mystery. That mystery is a whodunit, right? You find a mystery, you come across something that's mysterious, and then immediately we try to solve it and to resolve it. Let's put the pieces together, let's put this puzzle together, and find out how this mystery can be solved. And again, it's natural to come at God in this way and think, okay, God, we can just resolve this mystery of your divine identity. If we can just get the right metaphor, if we can just tell the right story, maybe then we will have it all figured out and the heavens will open. Oh, we'll say, yes, you know, bells will go off in heaven. Okay, Bob got it in Arcadia, Michigan. Let's hear it for him, right? It doesn't work that way. We come before this mystery of the Trinity, not with an attitude of resolution, of we are going to solve this mystery, but of receptivity. We will receive this mystery in faith. Think of two famous figures from the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. First, Zechariah. Okay? And, and Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. The guy who would later be known as John the Baptist. He didn't originally. Okay, anyway. Um, Zechariah, the angel comes to Zechariah, and Zechariah is an old man at this point. His wife, Elizabeth, had been barren. They weren't able to have any children. And the angel comes and tells Zechariah, Zechariah, guess what? You're going to be changing diapers, and not your own, okay? <laughs> and uh, Zechariah's immediate response is, how am I going to know this? right? This is a mystery. I need you to give me a couple of clues, a few puzzle pieces. If I'm going to figure this out, how will I know this? You remember what the angel says to him? You shall be quiet. It silences him. Suddenly, Zechariah is not able to speak and, until the birth of John. That's that attitude that comes toward mystery with the, We're going to solve this. But then on the flip side, that, that spirit of receptivity is exemplified by Mary. Angel Gabriel, all right, I didn't, kind of struck out with Zechariah. Let's try Mary, see if this goes any better. Comes to Mary, announces to her an even greater mystery and wonder. You are going to give birth to the Son of God. And Mary's response, it sounds similar on the surface to Zechariah's, but beneath that surface, it's profoundly different. She says to the angel, how will this be? She believes in her heart. It's going to happen. She's curious to know how will this be, but not with that attitude of, hey, I need to know how this is going to happen. And then the angel gives her a little bit, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Just trust me on this one. And her response is, let it be to me according to your word. That's the attitude of receptivity that says I am running up against mysteries in this faith that I cannot explain or understand? How can God be man? How can the Lord be present in, with, and under the bread and wine? These are things beyond our knowing. We come with an attitude not of resolution, but of simple receptivity. Lord, I believe. Let it be to me according to your word. So this mystery at the heart of faith, it, it fosters in us this attitude of, of humility, of receptivity, and finally of adoration, rather than explanation. 
Now you're thinking, okay, pastor, adoration rather than explanation? Really, we're about to confess the Athanasian Creed, which is like peak explanation, right? We are going to explain away all of the mysteries of the Trinity. If we can just get some syllogisms right here, then it's all going to add up. How can you say that it's about adoration rather than explanation? And I would say, okay, fair enough, fair enough. The Athanasian Creed definitely tiptoes toward there. But when we say it in a minute, I want you to notice something. Right at the outset, it says that our faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. That we worship God in this way. Not that we're able to explain and understand every bit of this mystery, but that we worship God. We adore Him. We come before Him. We bow before Him. Ever deepening in adoration of the mysteriousness of who God is. You think of it this way, in a relationship. In a relationship, you are faced with another person who is a profound mystery. I know that Gordon and Pat are celebrating a 64th, is that right, 64th anniversary. Gordon, do you have Pat figured out yet? No. <laughs> and that's not just a tribute to Pat, okay? For so many of us, husbands, wives, friends, the more that you know your spouse, the more that you know your friend, doesn't mean that you have them all figured out. It might be, mean that you're able to finish each other's sandwiches, right? But that's a frozen reference. Uh, <clears throat> but that uh, you deepen in this relationship, this mystery of the other person. You delight in the things that you don't know, in the ways that they surprise you. If that's true in our human relationships, and I think it is, how much more is that true in our relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Ever deepening in worship and adoration, the more that you know this God, the more that you are in awe at who he is. There's a, a theologian, one who has not lost his mind yet studying the Trinity. He says, we can't comprehend the Trinity, but we can apprehend him. What he meant by that is, look, we can't come before God and have it all figured out. Like the boy on the beach told Augustine, are you going to be able to fit this mystery into your little brain? No. But we can apprehend that mystery. In fact, traditionally, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, was referred to not as a sacrament, but as a mystery, one of the mysteries of God. We come before God and we receive this mystery of him present in with and under the bread and wine. We're not able to comprehend it, but we can apprehend it. We can't totally make sense in our mind, how can God be at once three in one, but we can take hold of him. Or as we'll sing in just a moment, we can bow the knee, adoring before him, and in that way, own the mystery. That doesn't mean you'll have all the answers. And I can assure you, when you get to the pearly gates, God is not going to give you a quiz, multiple choice or otherwise. But we will bow before him in reverent, adoring worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then I can assure you on that day, it'll all make sense. Amen.
And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.